Once there were two standing stones facing proudly in a field. One last broken on its side since the meeting of the spheres. Beneath that stone, a This is Filthy Armenian speaking, but you can call me Alec. A theme has recurred over my journey in the UK. In the last three episodes, I met three friends for the first time. We had conversations, conversations that spread all over the place, from sea to shining sea, imperial conversations, conversations that grew spontaneously under no central planning, driven by no agenda, except for one, the obvious one for FAA, that we would not forget what city we were dreaming in, that we would chart the place around us as a physical map to our cerebral travels. Conquest of no topic was sought, but neither was conquest feared And when the deceptively simple topic of friendship came up at a crucial point in each conversation, we did not shy away. Last episode, we restored the legacy of David Hume. David Hume, betrayed by his own people for saying something unsayable by today's standards in the course of enlightening the world three centuries ago. We humigated the termites, those lazy lousy termites who gnawed his name off the big tower at the University of Edinburgh to protect their own mental health. We defended his honor, we walked in his footsteps around the city at night, and through our own essays, moral, political, and literary, where we took scenic roots of banter to arrive at the occasional truth. Without knowing it at the time, we were following a map of debate and contemplation and gaiety he had charted out himself long before us. The main event, the headliner, the landmark of the nocturnal tour of my first night in Edinburgh was the topic of straight male friendship. Can straight men be friends? I was asked by my brilliant young guest, Stanley, who had a notion that straight men can't stay friends, a notion derived from the Oscar-nominated Martin McDonough film The Banshees of Inisherin, a stupid fucking movie that's supposed to be good. Stanley had watched the movie. I had not. Finally, this week, I did. And here's my review. The Banshees of Inisherin is a movie about being stupid Irish and depressed. 
disguised as a folktale about Irish Alzheimer's, where you forget everything but your grudges, leavened by tryhard stage play humor of the Aaron Sorkin School of Cloying Dialogue, and worse than trash. It's the kind of well-crafted trash that sears itself into your psyche through beautiful cinematography and landscapes and affecting gestures from talented actors doing their best to imbue the screen with enough mortality, am I right, power to poison your dreams and lower your lifespan. The men are violent morons and pedos, without the excuse of being criminals as in McDonough's prior movies, which I recall enjoying in a glib, forgettable, David Mamet light sort of way. The women are put upon saints. If this nasty, pointless piece of work wins an Oscar, Ireland, if they have lawyers, should consider a lawsuit. When I posted that review on Twitter, making use of Elon Musk's new extended character limit for those elites with enough character to pay $8 a month in support of free speech, it caused a feckin' row, as they'd say in the movie The Banshees of Ina Sharon. Now, I haven't been in critics' pencil mode when it comes to movies this last year, 
I've been in soccer mom mode. I've been bringing oranges and Gatorade. I've been cheering from the sidelines. I've been yelling at refs who call too many fouls. I've been shaking pom-poms. I've been twirling a baton. It's fun to cheer and jeer about movies again, much more fun than drama manufactured by the news. A year ago, it did not seem guaranteed that a new movie would ever again cause drama of this kind. It did not seem guaranteed. When I quested up to film writer David Thompson a year ago, I specifically declared a mission of refusal to be the coroner of cinema, when death of the form seemed not just certain, but at that point, final. I refused to be the coroner. I performed a little verbal rain dance for a new harvest of movies in that episode, and not for the only time last year, my desperate prayers in the wilderness found an answer. Starting in June, a string of compelling movies came out, from the artistic bombshell of Gaspar Noé's Vortex, to the Premingerian uproar of Blonde, to the sensational windfall of Terrifier 2, to the nostalgically lively Halloween ends, to Tom Cruise being America again, to the culturally monumental Tar, a movie so sharp on the nerve that it triggered even those culture warriors whom it ostensibly vindicates, because it exposed the hollowness of their mode. Those caught up in one-dimensional hysteria are always left gasping for air and sounding like idiots when confronted by the gravity of art. Other movies also made a mark of some kind. Fill in your own uh, list. Uh, the TV jolted us with Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal, then Euphoria and White Lotus, which made very good on their promises, uh, on the promises of their debut seasons, with lightning strikes of a far more textured and forceful season two. The surge was capped by the extremely widely, relentlessly highbrow hyped. Banshees of Inisherin. Smirky conservatar journos posted screenshots of my review with sniveling comments about how long it was, how its inordinate length was proof that Elon Musk is bad, and much less important than journos who write substacks about the shortcomings of Elon Musk. But it also triggered dozens of comments of a different kind, a kind I had never seen before in my post-apocalyptic posting career. People who said that they loved the movie, but that they also loved how much I hated it. How sweet. That's a sweet thought. I like this. I like that comment. I appreciate that. So I think on that elevated, harmonious Capri Sun note, I can put down my future of cinema pom-poms for a minute and undo my corset and assume the position of goalkeeper again and respond to Martin McDonough's movie on its own merit as the heinous vision of the world that it is to me. A vision where men are only their flaws and nothing but their flaws and nothing about their flaws is interesting. A vision where humor is a safety net for dramatic threads that cannot hold, because they're made of cotton candy. A freak show, and nothing more. A fancy, well-funded, morbid freak show, masquerading as the tale of a tater nation. I have nothing against freak shows, if they happen at the circus, 
or you could buy funnel cake and cotton candy instead of blackpilling a 21-year-old about straight male friendship. Not cool. Not feckin' cool. When I made the case for straight male friendship in the last episode, I was not making the case only for straight male friendship. Just as when I make the case for Los Angeles, I am not making the case only for Los Angeles. So much depends on a red wheelbarrow in a blue city glazed with rainwater beside white chickens who are too yellow for the struggle to exist. Friendship and the city are touchstones. I came to the UK to screen a film called Invisible Republic, a documentary about a literal republic in the Caucasus, the Republic of Artsakh, which fought to achieve its own existence 30 years ago and won at the cost of its own visibility, of its own recognition by the official juries of the world, and so its victory was short-lived. Surrounded by a hostile, hateful power, it now appears to be on the verge of extinction. Appears to be. Anyway, that phrase, invisible republic, has haunted every adventure in the UK, as if to alert somebody that ever since the apocalypse pushed him to pick up a microphone, he's been at least partially on a mission of republic building. Invisible republic building, of course. Filthy Armenian Adventures is a radio show existing only for now in the ear and the mind. But perhaps listeners would agree that it feels much more real this way than in any falsely visible version that would depend on the narrow angles of a camera or two. Friendship has been a major touchstone in the mapping of this republic, as has Los Angeles, as has any city I've paid attention to. Friendship, old and new, friendship near, friendship far, friendship with the living, friendship with the dead. When Stanley mentioned being blackpilled on straight male friendship because of banshees, I could not take it casually. I had a little hunch that something in the tater ain't clean, that maybe that movie was anathema to filthy Armenian adventures and the invisible republic for which it stands. No invisible republic, apart from Artsakh, has suffered more from the apocalypse than the republic of friendship. Straight gay, female, male, whatever. We have been actively, incessantly encouraged to snitch, isolate, socially distance, turn on our friends, forsake our families, all in the name of abject obedience to a state religion of mediocrity and helplessness. That much is obvious. That much is no duh. But there's also an entire machine of crypto propaganda out there at work to subtly, indirectly demonize friendship, and the patience, the integrity, the courage, the stamina, the flexibility, the faith, the respect that it requires. And a perfect example of that kind of propaganda is the word parasocial. Parasocial has been deployed to make people feel uncomfortable about loving, independent, irreverent, living and breathing podcasts such as Red Scare and The Perfume Nationalist, Parasocial is a word that demonizes the feeling that you, by listening regularly to this show, consider me to be a friend. It implies that we have an unhealthy relationship because you are listening to something real and candid and vulnerable and revealing, something that people who have never had an original thought in their lives would call reactionary. 
because perhaps it made you feel rooted again to this world. And if you can't stop listening, then at least you'd rather keep this dirty little secret to yourself. That's what parasocial is trying to do. And the concept of parasocial emerges from the shepherd's pie and hovers over this entire episode tonight. It arises in the uh, conversation of uh, Camille Paglia and her relationship with Madonna and her relationship with Susan Sontag before then. We talk about a lot of different touchstones that brought so many unknown friends together from across the world in the last few years. Until finally, at the end of this episode, Stanley questions me as to how the presence of my microphone is affecting the reality of our evening. Is it a barrier? Does it obstruct? Does it fabricate? Does it intimidate? Does it impose a kind of parasocialism that taxes the experience of depth and intimacy? Does it? As much as I hate the word parasocial, I have to admit. Fair questions all.
The rest of this episode is for subscribers only. So please, go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash FilthyArmenian. And subscribe for only $5 a month to support this show and to receive more than double the episodes of the free feed. Uh, several episodes only for subscribers every month. Over 40 uh, at to this point. And you will find out in this one, what painting hangs in the bathroom of Madonna's house? Thank you for listening, and see you on the other side of the paywall. This is Filthy Armenian, but you can call me Alec. <laughs>